and welcome back to my show, A Life Extraordinary with Roberto, which is me, <laughs> coming to you from my podcasting booth high up on a mountain. Um, well, not that high, but relatively so. And uh, tonight I'm going to be talking to you about something that uh, in a country that I love very, very much, uh, and that is Iceland. The other night I had done one of my first podcasts and it was on all things Iceland. And when I got to about 45 minutes, I realized, you know, I've got so much more to talk about Iceland and, and hidden gems and spots I love and stories of things happen there and just so much about the culture. So, so I decided to do um, another one uh, about Iceland and particularly um, because uh, that, the, that podcast was one of the most uh, successful ones that I've had so far. So, uh, so we'll be chatting to you about some of my favorite spots about this thousand year old populated uh, rock volcano that was uh, populated by Norwegian seafarers. It, it lies on a tectonic plate between North America and Europe, which one is one of the reasons that makes it so unique because you've got so much volcanic activity. Um, but I'll tell you more about the whole volcano side of things. One of the very, very unique things about being on the tectonic divide between North America and Europe is that there's this spot called Silfra. And this is most definitely a must-do adventure for anybody that goes to Iceland. Um, one of the things that I thoroughly, thoroughly uh, enjoy every time is diving in in the tectonic divide you can swim there and you could snorkel or you could um you could either snorkel or you could scuba dive now my lady and i about uh some years ago must have must be six or seven years ago in january we we did the scuba diving experience and it's one of the places in the that's considered to have the most visibility in the entire world um, literally considered to have the clearest water. And one of the reasons is that the water temperatures there hover between two degrees Celsius and four degrees Celsius, making it too cold for most creatures, but humans with a wetsuit or a dry suit can indeed jump in and, uh, and experience this spectacular place. Now, the colder the water is, the clearer the water is. So, uh, so that's one of the things that makes this place so unique. Uh, a lot of people will happily drink that water as well. Um, but there's, there's, because it's so clean, you know, Icelanders actually mock anybody that buys a bottle of water simply because they, they consider it to be ridiculously waste of money because Iceland is known to have significant amounts of water. So this spot, uh, if, if you kick out to Iceland is one, uh, you, you feel like you're in the womb of the earth in hues of blue and and it's really an experience that I, I highly recommend. Now, some people have asked me, should I go dry suit or should I go wetsuit there? And I think wetsuit's a lot easier because when I went scuba diving with my lady, we had dry suits on. And for people that aren't used to regulating their suits uh, with the air that they have in there and their buoyancy, it can be kind of annoying and you end up oftentimes at the top of the, the, the water anyway. So I'd go with a with a wetsuit, um, you can go with a company called Free Dive Iceland. Uh, really, really humorous guides, and uh, and and then start, and they'll take photos and videos of you as well. And and if you take the free diving gear, it's a little bit more expensive, but well worth it because you can go in, in a much more fluid way uh, through the water. So definitely one of my number one recommendations uh, when you're in Iceland is is to go scuba dive or snorkel Silfra. 
because you will feel like you have been exported to another planet and uh, really need to note that uh, that these two tectonic plates that are moving apart from each other at about two centimeters uh, a year. So, so really, really unique experience. Definitely one of one of my number ones. Now, now that we're talking talking about uh, water, how about the fact that Iceland is supposed to have over ten thousand waterfalls? You know, water is so abundant and and clean that Icelanders. Just they, they see the waterfalls everywhere. They see the, the, their lakes everywhere. And they've got so much runoff from the snow melting, uh, from the uh, glaciers that are melting as well, that, that they just find it, like I mentioned earlier, ridiculous for anybody to buy a bottle of water. So, um, so that's just that tip. But the, the frequent rain and snow combined and the melting glaciers just makes them have an absolute abundance. Um, one of the really incredibly unique aspects of waterfalls is how accessible many of them are. You know, they're literally off the side of the road. So you've got your typical ones that everybody goes to, but I've got a recommendation of some that, uh, that very few people go to. So if you kick out to Selgelandfoss, it's one of the most renowned waterfalls in Iceland. And it's super unique because you can walk behind the waterfall. And if you catch it around, um, uh, if you catch that waterfall around sunset, then you have these hues of red and orange um, cutting through the waterfall. And it, and it really is a spectacular view. When we used to go there, it was a gravel parking lot and few cars. But now they've had to expand the car parking lot. They've had to move a few roads to make it more accessible for buses. Um, but there is another spot that not that many people know of, actually, I'd say a nominal percentage of those that go uh, to Selgelandfoss ever make it to this other one. And I'll tell you the story of how I found this other one before I tell you where it is. We were camped out in Iceland. It was October. Uh, we were living out of a small SUV, so we were pitching a tent. And the winds were wild. The, the, it went from rain to hail to snow, and it was pretty, pretty miserable weather. And um, we just couldn't find anywhere to find shelter. So we had actually just been to Selgelandfoss and we decided to go down all the way to, uh, down the gravel road in search of somewhere where we could find shelter to get out of the elements. And we see that there's this like opening in, in, in what, not a cavern, but it looks somewhat like a, an opening to, uh, to like a little mini gorge in a way. And, uh, and we decide to, to meander in and we find out that it's completely wet, wet, uh, sheltered from the weather. Um, and there's a river running down it that's really picturesque. And there's a perfect spot about five minutes in where we can pitch a tent. So we do so and we get out of the elements and we have a lovely night. And the inside of this cave, you know, in the darkness looks so, so neat. And in the morning when we get up, I decide to go further up uh, the, the little canyon and, and see what, what there is. And then I find chains along a wall that I can grab and, and make my way around the river so that I don't get my, my feet wet and then clamber back and forth across each side of, of the river until you get to this magical waterfall that's just falling from the top of the canyon, but into this little mini gorge that you've just gotten to. And it is when you it's breathtaking when when you get to it and and this place is called natusagil n a t h u s a g i l 
And it's a place that I love to take people. I love to take uh, uh, guests as as well. And uh, and we'll definitely be back to many, many more more times. And it's really close close to Seljalandfoss. Now, of the waterfalls of Iceland, Skogafoss most definitely is the most majestic and powerful one to me because it's just so wide uh, and so much water coming down. And you can get so close to it that you really feel very insignificant uh, when standing next to it. And and it's uh, also a great spot to, to try and catch the northern lights uh, while looking at this waterfall because you have an open plain uh, in front of the waterfall. You're, it, the waterfall behind it is north which is uh, where the auroras uh, will, will shine. And so it makes it a very, very ideal spot to do some uh, aurora watching while having a waterfall in the foreground. Also, if you stay close to that area, you can actually, um, in the morning, head out to the waterfall and explore it um, while there's very few people there because as the day moves on, it gets actually quite, quite busy. Um, Skogafoss is, is a, a must-stop and it's one of the places that that most people will end up going for sure so so definitely uh another stop worth making even though this one is not a hidden gem now you all know that uh that iceland has plenty of volcanic activity there's actually 32 volcanic systems 130 volcanic mountains and 18 have erupted in the last 870 years. So it's a part of their culture. It's a part of their geography, topography, history, and, and unfortunately, a, a part of uh, devastation because some of these eruptions have truly devastated uh, the area surrounding uh, the eruptions. They, you know, vol volcanoists, I think you can call them that, uh, call a volcano extinct if it hasn't erupted in 10,000 years. But then there's some other volcano geologists, <laughs> I'd have to find out what the right name for that is, that uh, see a volcano as being dormant uh, after 5,000 years. Now, of course, the whole island is a volcano. It was It raised its head through the Atlantic some 18 million years ago. And gradually, with, with the eruptions that kept happening, it got larger and larger, you know. In, uh, you know, I, there's actually been 39 eruptions. None of, like earlier I said, I think 18 eruptions in 870 years, but I think it's 18 eruptions that were significant in 870 and 39 in the 20th century uh, alone. And it all depends on what, you know, what range of eruption uh, they see it as. Now, everybody that, uh, that landed on Iceland, uh, well, the majority of them being pagan uh, Norwegian sailors and explorers all believed in, in Norse, Norse gods. And, and to them, they, they found these volcanoes to have uh, much story uh, behind, behind them. Um, so so <laughs> being wiped out and, and whatnot, but it was usually the, related to their gods um, about uh, that were angered and therefore the volcanoes erupting. Now, there's a really, really neat one that's actually not too far from Reykjavik that very few people go uh, to. And it's called Trinukagigur. You got that? All right. Um, and this one is one of the few volcanoes that you can actually take an elevator down um, and, and see the inside of the magma chamber. And one of the uh, Icelandic scientists that, that studied these volcanoes was saying, you know, it's, somebody, it's as if somebody had taken off 
the a corkscrew and it just drained the magma chamber some of which uh went down back into the earth and and the rest of which just solidified to make this chamber so when you see pictures of it online you'll you'll be quite impressed but it's much much more impressive if you actually go down the elevator and it's not too far from Reykjavik which is the capital city of Iceland now Take into account, you know, Iceland has only 370,000 people. So, uh, and, and distances are actually quite small, but with weather and storms, they can be a little bit bigger. Now, there's a volcano that's currently erupting. It's called uh, Mount Fragadalspiyal. And in the last 50 years, it's the longest vol- active volcano that's been happening. And, uh, and that's really neat to note because it's actually... Uh, very, very close uh, to Reykjavik. And you can see a photo of, of the magma spewing behind uh, the president's palace. So that's how, president's house, sorry, uh, that's how close it is. Um, Icelanders, they don't seem to be too preoccupied with volcanoes, uh, funny enough, even though sometimes it does stop all air traffic that goes over Iceland, which is actually a lot of it <laughs> that's going to Europe from, from North America. And if you can get out to Fagradalasfjall, the the current volcano that's erupting, then you'll you'll see that uh, if you can get it while the lava's red and active, it's re- it's really unique um, because you're seeing land being born, earth being born, um, and, and the power of the earth, which is just massive, right? Um, now, when I was there just uh, about a month and a half ago. Um, there was another half ago, is it now? Yeah, it's about that. Um, there, there, there wasn't any red lava anymore, which was unfortunate. That being said, I still highly recommend to people to kick out to see the, the area because the, the hardened, uh, lava is, is still something unique that you don't see everywhere in the world. And there's steam coming out of spots and there's, uh, you could see the tail of the different tongues uh, of lava from the, the volcano. Um, apparently, there's about 500 eruptions going on a day in the area right now. So they're expecting it to continue being active for quite a while. Um, 500 eruption, eruptions is obviously a lot. Um, so so definitely something to keep on, keep on your radar. Um, there's a neat, if you're going to go see it, and I'll talk about self-driving, camper driving, or... Uh, doing a tour as different ways to see Iceland later on. But if you do kick out, you're doing a self-driving tour and you want to see uh, the volcano and stay somewhere close by that's in a really neat spot, you've got two options. One is the mind-blowing and spectacular uh, Blue Lagoon Retreat Hotel, which I've spoken about on a previous podcast. And you're you're basically staying in a six-star white glove, $1,800 a night. <sighs> palace of not debauchery but palace of uh just just pure pure upper class delight <laughs> and spa um for lack of a better word and and you could visit it from there or we stayed at the last time i was there we stayed in a really neat airbnb uh called the converted water tower and it's exactly that a converted water tower that's a, a little bit taller well, quite taller than pretty much all the buildings around because it was a tower. And and it makes it really neat to be able to see from, uh, if if the volcano is spewing, you can almost see it from there. And it's actually quite close from there, just 10 minute drive, not even. 
and you can also see the northern lights in that area quite frequently. So, so that's a really neat Airbnb. Just look for converted water tower. Highly recommend. And that's a, a, a neat way to see, to see this volcano right now. Um, now, how should you do Iceland? Should you self-drive it? Should you camper van rental? Or should you do a guided tour? I've done all of the above. Right. Um, so the first on self-driving is you got to be a confident driver for Iceland. The the accidents that most happen to tourists are because of driving and and primarily from wind throwing cars off the road. They don't have much of a shoulder on the road. Uh, snowstorms, ice storms, black ice. Um, and, and hail, <laughs> uh, rocks being uh, literally lifted by the wind and and smacking the car. <laughs> so there's there's, and you really have to take into account that driving in Iceland is not for the faint of heart. It is much more definitely uh, for those that are confident drivers and and really don't get anxious about conditions as such. Uh, on my last trip there, we were in Vic, and there's a pass that you have to go from Vic in order to get to the Reynasfjara area and head back to Reykjavik. And twice I've been, I, twice on the last trip, uh, the road was closed because the, the wind was simply too much. And so when cars go down an angled road, uh, swerve, and, and they're, they're going down this, this road, on the turn, the wind catches it and can flip the car. So, so they tend to close that road when the winds are more than 100 kilometers an hour, uh, which happens more frequently than you could imagine. Now, of course, if you're in Iceland, any time of year, I recommend taking a 4x4. Um, this way, you, you'll feel much more comfortable, especially that even in June or July, you can have snow and hail in the highlands, uh, in the interior or in the west fjords. Um, so it's definitely something that helps you uh, get through the adventures. And there's a lot of F-roads, and these are the their secondary roads, non-paved, that go into the interior or simply go uh, to different areas uh, that are not so frequented. But if you don't have a 4x4, it's very easy to get stuck in the dirt. Uh, so I highly recommend that. No, there's two websites also. Uh, one, one I think is vin.is uh, and another one that tells you all about the weather conditions that are going on while you're driving. Heed them well. <laughs> or simply ask people at the gas station or when you're buying at the stuff at the shops, what the weather is like is coming. Although that being said, most of them will often comment it to you because the weather is something Icelanders always talk about because it could be really, really bad. And it frequently is so much so that a lot of the people like Icelanders, when they go on drives between their home in the countryside away from Reykjavik, um, or, or, or back that they wear these, these uh, visibility vests while they're driving. So that's how often it happens that people have problems on the road, that a lot of the locals wear, will wear visibility vests in case anything happens. So that's something to keep in mind when you're, when you're driving there. Now, we've gone through many different car rental companies while there. And uh, the one that has stood out the most to us is one of one that isn't one of the largest. It's actually a uh, well, smaller size company, but they probably have like a hundred vehicles. But um, but one that I highly recommend because the owner of the company, whatever situation you get into, he figures it out for you. And a lot of Iceland is a country where you get into a lot of these situations on the road, whether it be freezing rain, needing chains, um, getting stuck, having car problems, whatever it may be. Um, 
you want to be with a company that will help you out in case of it. Uh, one time, the lady and I were at, um, what's it called? Uh, the Gazier. And I was trying to open the glove box that had locks on me. And the key was really cold because it was had been in my pocket and the key snapped. And uh, and the owner of the company literally came out and brought me another another key. So you want to be uh, using an auto rental company that that you trust. And Kefcar, so K E F C A R, fantastic. Uh, another neat thing for those photographers and videographers that tend to go there and want to go with a group of friends, you can rent vans from them. You could rent. Uh, my favorite is is their their small SUVs um, because these Suzukis are reliable, uh, four by four, sturdy, comfortable, uh, and perfect for ex- exploring a country as such. And, uh, and that's, those are a few of the, the really important things. So if you're car driving in summer up in the interior, highly recommend you, you head to Landmannlaugar and hike to Thorsmerk. This is another thing that few Iceland, few tourists tend to do. And, and the landscape is absolutely magical. You know, you're driving and you see this this just arid volcanic hues of red, black, brown, green mountains that look like they're from the Lord of the Rings. And, uh, and it's really quite my rainbows constantly, constantly rainbows everywhere because Iceland has a lot of water in the air and that makes it such that, well, you have a lot of rainbows when the sun does dare to shine. Um, but the interior is, is really unique. Now take into account that when you're, you're going into the interior, you have to be sure that the car you have is rated for that and that you're covered insurance-wise. So that's another reason Kefcar is great because you can tell tell Ragnar, uh, the owner, hey, or I'd like a car that's for the F-roads or I'd like a car that I won't be going on any F-roads because there's a lot of rivers to cross as well. And these rivers, oftentimes, uh, the companies will not cover your car if your car gets taken away by the river and uh and it often happened actually not so long ago there was a bus with 60 people on it and the river uh started to to sweep it uh sweep it away and they had to be rescued so that just gives you an idea if a bus can get moved by the river most definitely your car can so just be conscious of of where you're driving and if you're you're covered for that another important thing to note is be attuned to the weather. If it's been raining a lot in the last few days, then the, the water levels of the rivers are going to be a lot higher, obviously. If it's um, if a lot of the glacier has been melting, um, and that that is very important because it can change quite quickly. And if you low water levels are obviously much better uh, to, to cross a river with your car. And if you are taking your 4x4 across the river, a few little tips. Um, I like to have a, a standard car when I'm doing that. It just feels like I have more, more traction. Number two, never turn off the car when you're in the river because then uh, water can get, get in and ruin the car. <laughs> uh, number three, uh, do it slowly but with movement always. You never want to stop in the river. Uh, you want to keep the car moving very slowly while you're crossing it. Otherwise, it could be quite harrowing. And make sure to be aware of if having the windows down so that if you think you're crossing a river that the water level might be too high and you have an emergency exit idea to get out in case the water pressure is keeping the doors closed. Now, different way to travel Iceland uh, is by camper vans. And these have exploded across the country because frankly put, they are one 
one of the most comfortable and affordable ways to be able to travel the country. So when you're traveling in a an SUV or a car, then you obviously have to find your hotel or your Airbnb, and that takes you away from the spot that you were exploring. And being close to the areas that you're exploring, like the waterfalls and the black sand beaches and um, and cliffs and uh, canyons makes it that you get more out of Iceland if you're parked near those spots camping in the camper than if you were to try and be looking for your Airbnbs and hotels. But obviously, there's uh, there's another side to it. You have to find bathrooms, which is kind of annoying. Um, weather, as, you, as I mentioned, Iceland is absolutely terrible most of the time. And so being in these campers is, is quite comfortable comparatively to being in a small SUV. Um, be be aware of where you park as well, because with a camper, if you're on Jokulsarlon or if you're on the Diamond Beach, as they call it, which is right next to Jokulsarlon Lagoon, the wind tends to kick, kick up so much there that it lifts rocks and pebbles and smashes windows and cars. Um, on this past trip, uh, I, I actually photo documented about a dozen, a dozen different cars where when you get out of the car and you open the door, the wind catches it. And the wind is so ferocious there that often it'll bend the door backwards and really damage the car uh, where, where the door bent, if not rip the door right off. So it's so frequent that that happens that, uh, that I, was, I, I took a picture of a dozen or so cars this time just because I was like, wow, I wanted to have documentation showing like this is, this is something that frequently happens. Camp Easy is a great camper van company that we've used before. They've got different options for camper vans. And excuse me, my preference is to take a four by four camper um, that way that, that they allow you to take on the F-roads. A lot of the camper van companies won't allow you to take their campers on F-roads because they're only front wheel drive or rear wheel drive. And uh, and these ones have the right tires, are four by four have the extra tire and all the things you need to be able, and you're, you're insured to go on these efforts, but take into account that being taken away by a river is not most will not. I think, I don't think there's anybody that will insure you for that. And cars are swept by the rivers on crossings. Oftentimes. Um, finally, third way to explore Iceland is you can do a tour uh, like with myself, and uh, we'll be doing one April 16th to the 23rd. And we take you not only to the most visited spots in Iceland that are that you need to see, but we also take you to the spots that are the hidden gems that, that I like to call. Um, and on top of that, we do really unique things that few people do, like wearing special dry suits and life jackets to jump into rivers and little waterfalls and to take swims near icebergs and, and as such. So that's a different way to do it. If you really want to have peace of mind in other examples, is we've had crazy winds and, and you, most people would not want to be driving in 130 kilometer, uh, an hour, an hour winds. So, so that's that, um, foods, you know, uh, I have a good story on that one. My lady and I were camped uh, in Jokulsarlon uh, in January. And the light in January is about three hours a day. <laughs> and it was about minus 25 Celsius. And 
the Icelanders, there was a local lady that was so flabbergasted by the fact that we were camping by this lagoon, which is now a very touristed place, um, in such weather, was frequently asking us if we could, if she could invite us to her home or to a friend's home that uh, and give us warm coffee and tea. And we're like, it's okay, it's okay. She still gave us coffee every day. And we were sea kayaking on the lagoon uh, at this time of year. So imagine that. Um, and in the end, you know, after a few very, very cold and, and harrowing days, we, we ended up, after a few cold and harrowing days, we ended up calling uh, this lady and saying, you know what, maybe we, we were tired, physically, mentally exhausted. And we said, you know, we'll take you up on, on the offer. And this guy picks us up. And not only does he take us to explore more areas that we had never even heard of um, and that became were added to our list of gems and different lagoons uh, and whatnot, but he invited us to his home and we were there. And that evening he said, you cannot come to Iceland and not have fermented shark, sheep's head or, or lamb of any kind, of course. So he took out some fermented shark. Now in the old days, they used to pee on the shark to help it ferment. They don't do that anymore. They have <laughs> more, more advanced techniques, but the taste of the shark was uh, something along the lines of take a pair of ski socks, um, wear them for a dozen days, don't wash them, uh, let them sit in mold for a while, um, then maybe let you know watch as stuff and grows on them, <laughs> uh, and then stick those socks in your mouth, and that's basically what uh, fermented shark tastes like. It's ghastly <laughs> um and that's that's uh that's probably why they they like to wash it down with brennabin which is like their local um strong alcohol which they used to uh, have as bootlegger alcohol because up to a certain time i think it was actually into uh, late 20th century that uh, they own that prohibition for alcohol was still ongoing now, um, other foods that you, you just have to have. Oh, lobster sandwich. Yes, Yokul Sarlon uh, actually has a, a little stand where they make spectacular lobster sandwiches. They're, they're quite expensive. I think they're like 20 or 30 bucks, but so good. Highly recommend. So lamb, lobster sandwich, uh, definitely lobster soup. Uh, sheep's head, uh, not, so, not so convinced. They also, a lot of them eat... Uh, sheep testicles <laughs> didn't try that one <laughs> i'll let someone else tell me about that next time um other neat things to do at yokul Salon. one of our ways of traveling is having a bit of a unique twist on iceland and in in iceland you obviously don't have many trees there's actually a saying that goes if you're lost in a forest just stand up because the trees or the forest between quotation marks that they do have are so short and stunted that they're kind of cute they're like three and a half four feet <laughs> oftentimes um and so it's kind of kind of funny that uh that you can just stand up and look around but my point being um is that wood isn't scarce supply so it's not like you like in canada and so many backcountry places that you could just have a bonfire anywhere because there's plenty of wood icelanders love their bonfires particularly at new year's but wood is extremely expensive so it's very rare and i think it's more like a treat gas stations all over the country sell wood but it is forty dollars for a load that costs me here about six um but 
obviously understandable because they don't have that much wood. And where am I going with this? That if you're going to have a fire somewhere, what more unique of a place to have a bonfire than on a black sand beach with icebergs all around you? Uh, we even did that once uh, with Mikio, our five-year-old, who at the time was turning one. Um, and we had this big bonfire and it was just so neat to have this environment of icebergs and at the same time, heat of the of the fire. Um, Icelanders are very blunt and to the point. Uh, apparently they don't have please in their language <laughs> because when the weather is so fickle and ferocious most of the time, then there's just no time for, for please, right? Um, but they do, they do hate stupidity. And, and so they're very straightforward people that are like, well, that was dumb. But what I find funny about this is that many times when I'm telling them the adventures that I'm going to do in their country, they look at me askew and are like, oh boy, here we have another tourist that's going to get himself in trouble. But uh, I believe I've gained the respect of many there by doing adventures that I come out of. <laughs> um, one of the ones on this last trip that I had talking, talked about on the last podcast was when we sea kayaks with paddleboards tied behind our kayaks with our gear uh, and water and food tent and sleeping bag and we basically kayaked up to the face of the glacier which is powerful to be there uh, and camped on a tiny little island um, lo looking at this area so really really something uh, very unique you know very few people would do that simply because if you don't have the experience <laughs> don't <laughs> um and and we were lucky we had 70 kilometer an hour winds that were flattening the tent and we thought they was going to rip the tent to shreds and whatnot and in the end um we we in the morning the day after everything was beautiful but it was definitely a harrowing night the water is so extremely cold that even with your dry suit you only have a few minutes um so so definitely don't come after my adventures or type of adventures but uh but if you do want to get a taste of to of that type of trip then uh then that's what we do with uh with coming on a trip to iceland with us is that we give you a uh an idea or a feeling of those more extreme adventures without putting you uh in any danger you don't want to be uh on national news for being uh the dumb tourist there was one guy that uh that drove i think to the northeast you know, it was the north. Yeah, he drove to the northeast point of Iceland looking for the name of a town. And uh, all of Iceland uh, put him on the news because he got to this, I think, 500 kilometers away from where he was supposed to be. And he's like, uh, is it Reykjavik here or or something along those lines? And and uh, they made so much uh, fun of him that he was all over the news. But then he got uh, complimentary hospitality and he was even on a commercial for because of his uh i guess stupidity on that regard so <laughs> so don't be that guy they might make a commercial out of you and uh that's all humorson so um what else um i just wanted to see oh it sounds like there is a little background noise now and that is because the heater on the airstream automatically turned on well i thought it wouldn't um but that's okay um let, uh, let me let me see. Give me half a second. I'm going to turn it off, and that way there's no background noise there. Coming back, coming back. All right, that should be remedied. Um, 
some of the wacky things that I've done uh, while in Iceland is sea kayaking and camping on Jokulsalun Lagoon. Uh, in January, I've gone down the canyon of Fjallolofinglalafur, which is <laughs> this magical canyon um, where I took a sea kayak. And while I kayaked down it, my wife took drone videos and photos from the cliffs above of, of me doing this. And this last time that I was there, I wanted to do it again, except with a paddleboard. And this lady came up to me and she's like, no, you cannot do that. You cannot do that. And I think there's, we had perhaps some years ago started that trend of, of doing that and many other people followed and, I, and now they don't allow it anymore. And I guess the idea is that they, you've got many tourists on the cliffs looking down, and so they want to keep it pure of not having people go down the river. But Icelanders are very practical people, and the lady just told me, you know, there's so many other places that you could go paddle. So just go anywhere else where there's no tourists, and you're all good. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, so that's, that's that. And then, oh, yes, I wanted to tell you about uh, when we were invited to the locals' home. And the guy that gave us the, sh the fermented shark at night, he also gave us horse meat in the morning. Now, if you can imagine that, it was a very, very strange taste. And, and interesting because a little tangent on horses, but they have a book of names for horses in Iceland. And you have to register the name of your horse there. And really, these horses are ponies. But Icelanders do not refer them as so. They are horses. And what this comes down from is, imagine in the old days that your horse was your best companion, your transport, um, and in many, many, many occasions, uh, your survival, because the horse could find its way home while you were slumped all over the horse trying to not die of hypothermia from the wicked uh, and wild winds. So Iceland has kept the breed of horses uh, pure, you cannot bring, it's illegal, they don't, you cannot bring a horse to Iceland. And if a horse leaves Iceland, it cannot come back. And in the, oh yeah, what is it? With the, with the book of names of the horses, you cannot name your horse Fluffy <laughs> or Peter or, uh, you know, funny names like, like Yoho. <laughs> you have to give them very strong and Icelandic names and they go into this registry. Um, because the horse is part of the Icelanders' identity. And and these horses are renowned for actually being very smart and very hardy, because to, in order to live in an environment like this one, you, you have no choice. Now, my favorite spot that I've ever seen these horses is on an island called Vestmanabeyjur. Vestmanabeyjur. And uh, you have to take a ferry to get to this island, and it passes along the loneliest house in the world, which is a, a, a house on an island. It's called Elide, the island. And uh, and it's so picturesque because it's giant cliffs. This one looks like a farmhouse and nothing else on the island. And uh, there's pictures of it all, all over, uh, all over the world if you go online. So so that's a, definitely a unique place to visit when you're there. And gorgeous hikes and ridges and uh and of course the picturesque ponies just don't tell any icelanders i call them ponies
your horses, right? <laughs> and a little campground that you can uh, stay in as well. Now, another thing that I've mentioned a few a few times before is that you can watch the Northern Lights in Iceland. They're a little bit dim because there's a lot of humidity and water in the air. So comparatively to places like the Northwest Territories, if you want to know all about Northern Lights, you can go on one of my previous podcasts. I talk all about it. Um, but early to mid-October to late April, uh, you can definitely see them. I highly recommend, you know, the trick to going to see them is uh, finding places where there's very little light pollution. So uh, Thingvellir National Park is a great one. Uh, check out the Aurora Forecast. There's a few few websites for that where you can, where you can find information. Um, another of the gems um, of Iceland are the hot springs. And hot springs are basically waters that are heated by geothermal energy. Uh, the majority of them, I think, are about 38 degrees Celsius for my Americano friend, that's 100 Fahrenheit. Um, the factors ab about these hot springs are like the depth at which the heat is supplied from a magma chamber, uh, the rate at which it flows, and the amount of cool water that's flowing into. Um, some of these hot springs will also have a, a tube that you can move where it will take water from a, uh, a cold river to move it into the hot, hot spring so, so it's not too hot and you can kind of uh, change the temperature. Um, Iceland is known for, for their hot springs and, and as a culture, they've got a really neat thing that when you're going to any hot spring and or local pool, you must take off your bathing suit, shower, and then put your bathing suit back on <laughs> and then go in the pool. And the reason is that they, they don't like to put chemicals in their waters in the local pools and the, and therefore hygiene is very important because Nobody wants the local pool, which is, which for for hundreds of years has become uh, the center meeting point for community. Uh, is, is these pools? Now, if you're at one of the natural hot springs, these they're mineral rich and um, they're known to treat eczema and improve circulation. Lots of calcium and sodium carbonate uh, relieve muscular skeletal pain. Uh, so much so that uh, the Blue Lagoon has, uh, which is actually not natural but man-made. It's the byproduct of geothermal energy created that made the Blue Lagoon. And then they realized that it had all these benefits. And so people from around the world go to them to, to get some healing, healing issues. Um, now, which one? So, so obviously Blue Lagoon is, is a man-made one, a man-made hot spring, but a natural hot spring. Uh, one of the more picturesque one with little stones all around it is Runnalaug, which is near Fludir. Um, funny enough, it used to be uh, a sheep washing station, um, but no longer. No sheep allowed in it anymore, just humans. Um, hot, uh, you know, these, these hot baths and pools are, are absolutely great uh, for car and camper travelers. I know that many a time we chose to put our camper right next to them simply because uh, it's so refreshing and cleansing and <laughs> all of the above. And now a lot of these are constantly being refilled as well. Take that into account because there's new water coming in and then it overfills. So so they, they're quite, quite clean. Um, the oldest one in Iceland, and it's known a bit of a, as a bit of a tourist trap, is Seljavalalauk. Um, it's not too far from Seljalandfoss. And this one is, uh, they actually built a pool but the water temperature isn't that hot so a lot of people get disappointed when they go there because a the water temperature isn't that hot b it looks like a pool yeah sure in a neat canyon 
backdrop, but uh, it's not it, it's not very well upkept, and uh, and the bathrooms bathrooms between quotation marks. I don't think they're actually bathrooms; they're just like a a changing room are very very dirty because so many tourists go and obviously don't take care of them uh, until kind of they've kind of, kind of let let it just get overridden and the water has a bit of a green tinge so my gem is not to go there but when you get to that pool there's a trail that keeps going along the canyon and if you you skip the pool and just keep following that trail you'll follow you'll be going along the river and it's for one it's beautiful and for two you'll find these uh, rock jacuzzis made along the river where you can uh, you can use the the hot spring and because you have the cold water right next to it and the hot water you can jump in and jump to the other uh, and it's really quite special clean and and spectacular so that's my gem uh, for for hot springs and uh, finally I guess uh, if you go there in summer um, one of my favorite things has definitely been going to the interior. It's a it's a fairy tale land. I think I mentioned this earlier. If you have if you're self driving, you're able to do that. There's also tour buses that take you to uh, Landmannalaugur and places in the interior. But but for the adventurous spirits, you know, grab an SUV, uh, hit up some F roads, and just just go where, where just follow and drive. And I know not many people. You know, many people put themselves on a schedule and I'm going to go here and here and there and, and all of this in a day. But sometimes, and in our case, many of the gems that we've found uh, simply comes from hit the road, drive, take random turns and, uh, and see what you find. And so many of the coolest spots in Iceland uh, we found like that. So now that it's Christmas, um, you know, last trip there, I bought my little boy and, and Catalina uh, a book um, because children in Iceland um, don't only celebrate one Santa, but they have 13 variations of it. And each Santa has his character and mischievousness, uh, personality. And uh, and it's really funny. And I really enjoy buying books from for the kids from different countries because you, you get a background into the culture. So, uh, so if you're traveling in December, uh, just leave a shoe out in case one of these, they're called Yule Lads, uh, wants to fill it with gifts uh, because uh, you just never know. Well, thank you for listening uh, tonight on all of my Iceland adventures and recommendations and gems. I, I most definitely will have more podcasts uh, about Iceland as uh, the show goes on down the road. And uh, But for tonight, I think that gives you a good dose of what to do there, where to go. And for myself, it's time to call it an evening. So coming to you from Whistler, British Columbia, I'm Roberto for the Expeditioners. And good evening and good night. Expeditioner out.